Hello and welcome to Grapevine. This is volume 41, number 9, for week ending Friday the 5th of March 2021. Brought to you by the Great Jarmuthan District Talking Newspaper Association, this week's news includes details on some £42 million worth of grants to give the town a boost. The weekly Covid update a car ramming incident in Caister, and Gorson's Mr Punch is out in print. Hi, I'm Graham, your presenter, and joining me is Aileen, your newsreader for this week, and I have some thoughts about a couple of coincidences from last week's recording. Just two parts of the news this week, and with the first, it's a warm welcome to Aileen. Hello everyone, this is Aileen again. Can't believe my turn has come round so quickly. I am going to be reading items of news from the week ending the 5th of March. Who can believe that we are virtually a year on since the dreadful pandemic started? However, we are where we are. The news this week, a mixture really, um, tentative signs of spring, had a couple of good warm days, a few cold ones, a bit dreary. I hope you're all keeping safe and well. I'm glad to be with you to be reading the news. It's Aileen this week. Now, of course, we're going to be having some coronavirus news and it's interesting the rates where you live. Cases of coronavirus in Great Yarmouth have fallen by a fifth in the last week, while in some of the borough's neighbourhoods the rate still stands above the national average. Figures from Public Health England for the seven days up to February the 23rd show that while the borough still has the highest rate in Norfolk, the number of reported infections has dropped by 21%. From 133 to 105 per 100,000 people. The national average for England currently stands at 107. The data was published as police in the seaside town disrupted two children's birthday parties over the weekend, issuing £800 fines to a number of adults at one of the parties where more than 15 people had gathered. A closer look at the figures shows that case rates vary widely across neighbourhoods in the borough, with some now reporting less than two cases and others above the national average. The neighbourhood with the highest number of cases was Yarmouth Parade, with a rate of 298 per 100,000, or 29 reported infections in the week ending February 23rd. Caister recorded a rate of 144, while Yarmouth North had 151. The two neighbourhoods to record less than two cases each were Flegborough, Rollsbury and Martham, and Galston West. With the estimated R number for the east of England currently below 0.6 and 0.8, the number of cases in Norfolk overall was 75, the lowest since October. Meanwhile, the NHS confirmed on Monday 9 in 10 over 65s in England have now had their first dose of the vaccine and more than 40% of adults in Norfolk and Waveney have had their jab. 
These are the cases in the week ending February 23rd. Ormsby and Hemsby, 5. Flegborough, Rollsby and Martham, less than 2. Caister, 13. Yarmouth North, 9. Yarmouth Central and Northgate, 5. Yarmouth Parade, 29. Southtown and Cobham, 6. Bradwell North, 4. Galston North, 7. Galston South and Beach, 8. Galston West, less than 2. Belton, 5. Bradwell South and Hopton, 10. I have to say, it is a lot of figures to get in your mind when you hear about all of this, but I think the gist is that the numbers are going down. A man in his 20s is among three further deaths with COVID-19 announced at the James Paget Hospital. In a statement posted on its website, the hospital in Galston said, sadly, we can confirm that three people who were cared for at the James Paget who had tested positive for COVID have died. The patients were a man in his 20s, a man in his 30s and a woman in her 70s. All three had underlying health conditions. Their families have been informed and our thoughts and condolences are with them. The announcement brings the total number to have died at the hospital in February to 78, although the figure could still rise. The death tolls since the start of the pandemic is 365. It means February is the second worst month for deaths after January where there was 109 and April where there was 76. However, NHS England figures recording daily hospital deaths show a flattening of the data with no deaths at all plotted from February the 22nd to the 28th. Meanwhile, cases of coronavirus in Great Yarmouth have fallen by a fifth in the last week, although in some of the borough's neighbourhoods the rate still stands above the national average. Sadly, we're still clearly not out of this terrible pandemic yet. Anyway, uh, a story about an SUV. An off-road vehicle that was being driven erratically chased and rammed into a car in Caister. The incident involving a silver and blue Mitsubishi Pajero happened between approximately 12.45 and 1pm on Monday, March the 1st, on Caister High Street. According to Norfolk Police, the Pajero rammed into a parked white Audi a number of times. When the Audi drove off, the 4x4 continued to pursue the car and rammed it again while driving erratically. Three men, one aged in his 20s and the others aged in their 30s, have been arrested in connection with the incident. They have been released under investigation pending further inquiries. Now, Great Yarmouth lands a budget which hopefully will transform things. Great Yarmouth is set to take advantage of the modern age as it receives £20 million in funding to transform the town. Chancellor Rishi Sunak today confirmed, or in fact that was yesterday, in his second ever budget that Great Yarmouth had secured £20.1 million of its town deal bid. The borough's MP, Brandon Lewis, said the news was fantastic and a real boost to the COVID-stricken seaside economy. He said, I am delighted another cash injection will be coming into our community. 
This funding will not only allow for crucial investments to be made, but will act as a catalyst for further progress. It is yet another example of how this Conservative government is making sure that we build up Great Yarmouth so that we are ready to take advantages of the opportunities offered by the modern age. Projects set to receive a share of the funding include the restoration of the Winter Gardens and the Ice House, development of a new operations and maintenance centre in South Deans, and the upscaling of North Quay and the refurbishment of the railway station. Meanwhile, on Boxing Day last year, the town was named as the only Norfolk beneficiary of the government's future High Street Fund, receiving £13.7 million. It also received £8 million from the Get Building Fund, bringing the total investment announced in the last seven months to £42 million. The council plans to use the money for improvements to the town's marketplace, an 89-strong home redevelopment at the Conge, the creation of a new heritage centre and funding for some green initiatives. Construction of the third river crossing, costing £120 million, is also underway. Henry Cater, chairman of the Town Deal Board, said the plan was to realise a vibrant coastal economy, while Council Leader Carl Smith and Opposition Leader Trevor Wainwright said they were overjoyed to have unlocked a phenomenal amount of funding after months of uncertainty. On top of today's budget windfall, Mr Lewis added that the town deal funding came with an £150,000 gateway bonus designed to help the town devise a strong bid for yet another new government scheme, the Leveling Up Fund. The £4.8 billion levelling up package aimed at supporting high street regeneration, cultural assets and local transport in the country's most deprived areas will be announced at the spending review. Currently, Great Yarmouth is ranked as one of the government's number one priorities in its levelling up agenda, alongside swathes of northern England and other coastal areas. And I have to say, it's amazing if we are going to get that money. It seems to be a lot of money, but sometimes not always a huge amount to show for it. Now, another story about dog mess. The council has promised to cleanse a dog fouling hotspot after a concerned local spotted 20 piles of waste along a single stretch of pavement. Billy Kerrison reported the mess to Great Yarmouth Borough Council after coming across the disgusting display while out walking on Key Road in Galston. He said there's literally a no-dog-fouling sign on the road, but nobody takes any notice of it. People are using the area opposite the King William pub as their own back garden. It's grim. When asked why it had failed to respond to Mr Kerrison after more than 10 days... A council spokesperson said staff were monitoring the area and that a cleanse of the pavement had now been arranged. They said fouling always tended to be worse in the winter months when darker mornings and evenings gave irresponsible dog walkers good cover. But they added that the borough had one of the best records for enforcement on environmental crimes across Norfolk. In 2020, the council issued 13 fixed penalty notices and secured 10 prosecutions for environmental crimes. 
The spokesperson said, although targeted patrols are carried out, rangers cannot be everywhere at once and rely on other evidence, including public tip-offs to help target the right individuals. We are particularly grateful of any intelligence which helps identify an offender and or when they tend to pass through their fouling area, so a ranger can be there at the right time to witness them in the act and gain the required evidence to prosecute. All approaches will be treated in confidence. Mr Kerrison, who used to be a council litter picker but now works offshore, said the authority needed to be more proactive in clamping down on Yarmouth's dog fouling. He said with lockdown everyone is getting more dogs so it's inevitable that incidents of dog fouling have increased. The beaches in particular are covered in the stuff. The council says it has a good prosecution record and is keeping an eye on the area but then why didn't they respond to me and take action when I reported it two weeks ago? It just lets the whole town down. And he's absolutely right. I have a dog and we are constantly seeing areas of dog fouling. And it's true. I've watched people wait till it's dark to go in the waterways and they never pick up after their dog. Now, another tree has been chopped down. A tree in a park in Great Yarmouth was chopped down to ensure public safety, the Borough Council has said. The horse chestnut in Southtown Common was felled over the weekend. In a statement, the council said the tree was assessed by the experts at Great Yarmouth Borough Services and found to be weak and susceptible to failure with a large crack running up the trunk and an already dead stem hanging from a neighbouring tree. We felled trees as a last resort when it is agreed that no remedial works are capable of salvaging the trees. We understand the important impact trees have on our environment, however we have a duty of care to ensure they pose no risk of harm to the public, the spokespersons added. Terry Wilkinson, who lives on Suffolk Close and walks his dogs on the common, said, I'm lost for words. The bark was split open, but there was nothing wrong underneath. I just find that a very poor excuse, he added. I have to say I had a tree cut down years ago and the branch didn't look very big from uh, the ground but when it was felled because it was diseased the tree was very heavy and would have caused a danger if it had fallen. Now uh, news about a boxing club. A boxing gym in Great Yarmouth that has trained national champions is facing a funding struggle as the third lockdown continues but its head coach has pledged to keep fighting. Spartans, which operates in Legends Gym on Steam Mill Lane, has been closed for most of the past 12 months. Tony Norman, who runs the club, said, with the restrictions, it's difficult, boxing being a contact sport, but there is no contact these days and no competitions. The gym is a non-profit organisation with fees paid by members going towards its running costs. We're self-funded and at the moment there is no funding coming in, said the coach. Normally, its members would have put on a show at the Ocean Room in Galston in February with the display bringing in much-needed funding. While the situation is not ideal, Mr Norman said the gym would not go under and that if necessary he would dig deep into his own pockets to keep the place going. 
Ian Holmes and Benjamin Cook are raising money for Spartans by running four miles every four hours for 48 hours, starting on Monday night, the 8th of March. Mr Holmes said, I've seen the work they do with kids and thought they deserve a bit of recognition and a bit of help. If we can do anything to help keep kids off the streets, it's brilliant. The donations would help the club buy PPE as well as new equipment, including punch bags and gloves. Mr Norman said, sometimes you feel your work goes unnoticed, but it is a big part of the community, so it's really nice for someone to do that off their own bat, not associated with the club. Although established only three years ago, Spartans has already trained national champions, including Louise Smart, Joe Miller, Alfie Miller, Kai Smart and Mikey Weber Kane, who has recently turned professional. It's difficult for the kids who used to be in the gym four or five nights a week, Mr Norman said, but I'm in constant touch with them. I send weekly plans out. How much to run that week? It's about keeping them ticking over. I'm struggling too with not being in the gym as it's something I've done for years and I'm missing it, he said. The gym is planning to reopen on April the 12th as lockdown eases. Now, another COVID piece of news. Fire chiefs trying to plug a shortage of on-call firefighters hope the COVID-19 triggered switch to home working will mean more people come forward to help protect Norfolk. As of the end of last month, there were 36 retained firefighter vacancies across the county, which Norfolk Fire and Rescue Service is keen to recruit to. Crews need a certain quota of firefighters before they can go out, so appliances from further afield have to attend if that is not possible. The fire service has struggled for years to recruit enough because retained firefighters must live or work within five minutes of an on-call station. Lifestyle changes meant people's working patterns changed, with many living away nowhere near where they work. But fire chiefs believe the coronavirus pandemic, which has led to more home working, might mean becoming a retained firefighter, is now more of an option for people. Chief Fire Officer Stuart Ruff said in Norfolk there is a particular need for daytime cover at some of our rural stations and with more people now working from home in their primary career they could be the perfect candidates. We are really grateful to employers across Norfolk who release staff to be able to commit to supporting their communities. Employing on-call firefighters brings great benefits to our service, to local communities and to those businesses, as their staff learn a range of transferable skills. We're not looking for a particular type of person, as every member of our team brings something different and valuable. If you are interested, please contact us. Let us help you to see what you might be able to achieve. Retained firefighters are paid for being on call and carry an alerter to respond to 999 calls. There are vacancies across the county, including Great Yarmouth. The Norfolk call comes as part of the We Need More campaign run by the National Fire Chiefs Council. We'll have more from Aileen in just a while. 
Well, it has to be said that we're a little short of news this week, hence there are only two parts on this week's recording. As we'd never contemplate using fake news, we thought that making some up was uh, not a good idea. So (laughs) I've resorted to expand on a couple of coincidences prompted by Margaret's piece using the Mercury from 1962 on last week's issue. I will call the piece Murder by Music, with the reason becoming increasingly clear as we progress. The murder in question is nothing less than the reputation of a certain Jacques Offenbach, German-born French composer of around a hundred operettas, who shuffled under the great proscenium in the sky in 1880. Right, the torturous plot starts here. You may remember that the piece of music I played following Margaret's piece was Telstar by the Tornadoes in the charts that year and being the creation of one Joe Meek, sometimes considered, with his producer's hat on, to be the British Phil Spector. Being covidly locked down and with too much spare time, I casually looked up Joe Meek on Wikipedia, which to my surprise revealed that he produced the other track which sprung to my mind from 1962, Peter Jay and the Jaywalkers' Can Can 62, the clues in the name, prompted by the piece on Peter's thoughts and plans for the coming summer. Whilst Peter's career as a pop star, chart-wise, was not spectacular, Can Can only reaching number 31, he and his fellow musicians did find employment as support act to many well-known artists, and in fact they didn't break up until completing a tour involving the Rolling Stones, Ike and Tina Turner and the Yardbirds in 1966. If my memory serves me correctly, they did a summer season in Great Yarmouth, although not at the family's windmill theatre, but at the aquarium. Whilst I did see the show, courtesy of tickets from a friend's mother who ran the box office, I can't for the life of me remember, positively, who was the star. It might have been Joe Brown, who was another Joe Meek artist at the time. I do remember some chap standing in front of a huge lever keyboard contraption from which he controlled a stage full of fountains dancing to music, which was most underwhelming, I have to say. However, back to the point of this piece, which actually is a thinly veiled excuse to fill time by getting some music on the recording. Oh, what a giveaway. Can Can 62. Did it cause Monsieur Offenbach to kick up his legs in celestial frustration or not? I'll let you be the judge with a caution that we've not yet finished with old Jacques. Thank you. 
Mr. J drumming his heart out with his 1962 hit Can Can 62. Now, whilst PJ was cavorting with the famous names, I have to admit that, like many others in the early 60s, I fancied myself as a possible guitar-playing star. Hmm. My career sadly did not last as long as Peter's, with the highlight being one night at Caster Council Hall supporting the bingo, about which least said the better. With one of the band's members being son of the then vicar of Caster, we were allowed to use the parochial hall for practice. Although that is definitely an oxymoron, as practice is supposed to make perfect, a goal which my musical ability would never reach. However, says he, getting back to the plot, the piano in the said hall had a storage stool, within which were myriad delights in the line of sheet music. Now, I've no idea how to read the dots, or charts, as the prose will have it, but I was fascinated with some of the titles. The one which I was stuck on my mind was the Can Can Polka. Yes, we're there again. The front of which proudly declared that this had been recorded by none other than the Billy Cotton Band from the wireless, don't you know? So we're back on track with a second assault on the reputation of dear old Offenbach. Surprisingly, or should I say, thankfully, I'd never heard it until now. So for our delight and delectation, it's wakey wakey.
the Billy Cotton Band and their assault on Jacques Offenbach. OK, it's back to news with Aileen. Now, it does feel like summer when you're talking about Punch and Judy. In the last year, there have been few sausage-related skirmishes or crocodiles beaten by battens on the sands at Galston. But for those missing their Punch and Judy fix, there is now a full-colour book featuring all the famous landmarks and a chip-stealing seagull to boot. Puppeteer Daniel Hanton, who successfully introduced a new generation to the traditional seaside entertainment in 2019, has spent his time away from the holiday crowds penning and illustrating a children's book. Beside the seaside chronicles a typical trip to the beach framed by the drama of a show, from the setting up of the striped booth to whooping crowds alerting Mr Punch to what is behind him. Setting the action firmly in Galston, the illustrations feature familiar landmarks like the Pavilion Theatre and the parade of shops selling rubber rings and sugary treats. There is also a cameo of artist John Applegate, who set up his easel on the beach to capture on canvas an image of Mr Hanton performing his first show almost two years ago. It has been an ambition of mine to write and illustrate a children's book, and when lockdown came, it was the perfect opportunity, Mr Hanton said. Most of my gigs were cancelled last year. I got one in just before lockdown at a school and one in September. Sadly, 2020 was a bit of a write-off for entertainers. The book was something I wanted to do for my children to keep and hopefully for the grandchildren to see in the future. It is a book based on Galston and my experience of doing the Punch and Judy show there. It is also about keeping Punch and Judy in people's minds. There hasn't been a book about it for 20 years, so I thought it was about time. Mr Hanton, who lives with his partner Joe and daughters Grace and Elsie in Bradwell, is also known for playing the dame in the Beckles Panto and for being an education host at the Great Yarmouth Sea Life Centre. During lockdown, he has performed over Zoom and online, but said he can't wait for the buzz of live performance. The 28-page paperback book aimed at children ages 3 to 7 is available from Amazon, Etsy and his Facebook page from the 3rd of March, priced at five ninety nine. Now, the creation of new jobs is always an excitement. An ambitious project to make Norfolk a hotbed for the offshore green energy industry creating 650 jobs, will cost at least £18 million, council bosses have revealed. Council and business bosses believe transforming part of Great Yarmouth has the potential to bring more renewable energy firms to the county. With offshore energy projects off the Norfolk coast estimated to be worth more than £39 billion over the next two decades, council leaders want Yarmouth and Norfolk to benefit. Last April, they revealed plans to create a Great Yarmouth operations and maintenance campus on the southern tip of the South Deans Peninsula and a feasibility study has since been completed. The campus would include offices, technical areas and storage, along with quayside berths and pontoons. 
And next week, members of Norfolk County Council's Conservative-controlled Cabinet will be asked to agree to initial £1 million investment in the project and to give the green light to County Hall to borrow a further £9 million towards it. The project has already secured £6 million from the Government's Getting Building Fund, while Great Yarmouth Borough Council is ready to pump in a further £1 million. The remaining £1 million would be drawn from the pool of business rates collected across the county. Council bosses say up to 650 jobs could be created at the campus, and it is crucial the county does not miss out. In a report which will go before members of the Council's Cabinet on Monday, March the 8th, they say, Maritime works are costly, and without public sector support this project will not proceed, and we will be less likely to attract the associated investment, economic growth and local jobs. There are various proposals at other East Coast ports and there is a danger that investment will migrate there unless we create a facility of equal or better status. Graham Plant, the Council's Cabinet Member for Growing the Economy, said the offshore energy sector provides Great Yarmouth and Norfolk with arguably the single most important economic opportunity for a generation. This proposal to establish an operations and maintenance campus in Great Yarmouth is a bold initiative which has already received very positive feedback from the industry. Now that Hippodrome owners plan to open a circus-themed cafe. Visitors waiting for a show at the Hippodrome in Great Yarmouth could enjoy a glass of wine and a slice of cake in a circus-themed cafe if a planning application gets the green light. The Jay family, who own and run the venue on St George's Road, are proposing to convert a storeroom in a building adjacent to the main theatre into a coffee shop. The cafe would serve visitors to the Hippodrome and parents of pupils attending the circus dance school, but also be open to passing trade. Owner Peter Jay said for years the building has been storing scenery. We thought let's have a go now and open it as a cafe where people can meet before and after a show. What we're finding with the pandemic is that people tend to come earlier, so it would give them somewhere to sit down before we open up, he added. The venue would be designed with a circus theme and serve drinks, cakes, sandwiches and alcoholic beverages. Now, a fishmonger story. A wet fish shop close to the sea is bidding to become a home. Dabs and Crabs in Scrapby Row, Dormsby has lodged change-of-use plans which would see it remodelled as a three-bedroom bungalow. Documents submitted to Great Yarmouth Borough Council state the owner is looking to close the business and cease trading and the change of use to residential will quieten the area and provide comfortable living for someone. Drawings show the shop and counter area converting into living space with workshops and offices becoming bedrooms. The popular shop supplies fresh fish, smoked fish and shellfish and has a loyal customer base, including some that cross county borders for its fare. One reviewer said, I drive from Beckles for their brown shrimp frozen crab claws too if the fresh ones are gone. Another described it as a little gem that every fish lover needed to try. There is no indication from the plans about when the conversion work would start, if approved.
Now two shoplifters were stopped and arrested in Great Yarmouth after assaulting a staff member who challenged them. The men were arrested on Monday just off Haven Bridge on Steam Mill Lane after police officers chased down the perpetrators. Officers had been called at 2.30 to reports of the shoplifting and assault at a business in Pasteur Road. A short time later they then stopped a car on Steam Mill Lane in connection with the incident. The men are being taken into custody and will be questioned later. One nearby business owner said there appeared to be a chase along the road with a car transporter towing away the seized vehicle. An eyewitness who drove over Haven Bridge at around 3pm said there were at least eight police cars and a huge amount of police down the street. He said it was quite the operation. There was a huge amount of resources out on display. Now, sadly, a motorcyclist only aged 17 has died following a collision with a lamppost along Great Yarmouth Seafront. Police were called to North Drive at 3am on Tuesday following reports a red Suzuki motorcyclist had been involved in a crash. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Officers want anyone who has information to contact them. Now, a teaching couple are moving to Wales. After a combined total of more than 80 years in high schools and colleges, a couple is saying goodbye to the East Coast. Daphne and Stuart King will be leaving Great Yarmouth and locating to Wales to be near their family and grandchildren. Stuart grew up in the town and attended Northgate Infants, St Nicholas Priory, Church of England Junior and the Technical High School Oriel Grammar in Galston. He went to university in London and began his teaching career in the capital before returning to Great Yarmouth in 1978. Daphne grew up in Londonderry in Northern Ireland and on leaving school studied music at King's College London. Daphne will be remembered in the early 80s and 90s for her contribution to the musical life of young people at Galston Grammar School and through her conducting at the annual Hippodrome Festival of Carols. She formed and led the East Norfolk Youth Choir during this time, made up of young people from all local schools and colleges. She moved from classroom to management, setting up and leading a large performing arts department at Yarmouth College, moving on to the role of vice-principal before moving to East Norfolk Sixth Form College as principal. Since retiring, she has acted as a government advisor on the review of Sixth Form Colleges in England, has also been an Ofsted inspector and her voluntary roles have included Governor and Trustee for the Diocese of Norfolk Academies Trust. As Principal at East Norfolk, Daphne oversaw major building projects and set in motion the collaboration with Galston FC which is currently coming to fruition. Daphne's students have gone on to many careers nationally and internationally and she looks forward to the many concerts and operas in Cardiff where her son Patrick works at the Welsh National Opera and as head of department at the Royal Welsh College of Music and Drama. Two of Daphne's former pupils are also in top jobs there. Robert Plain, formerly a pupil at Galston Grammar, is head of Woodwind, and Andrea Morris, formerly a student of Daphne's at Yarmouth College, is head of undergraduate studies. I'm really looking forward to lots of live music when things return to normal, and I'll also be overseeing piano lessons for my four grandchildren, she said. 
Another new challenge for Daphne will be to write her memoir about life in Derry during the years of the Troubles from a teenager's perspective. Stuart has spent 16 years at Great Yarmouth High School moving to the school from Greenacre where he taught RE and music. While at Great Yarmouth, in addition to his head of department duties, he enjoyed coaching football teams and becoming known for some unusual projects, not least the initiative which saw the school win TVAM's Caring Christmas Award. The following year, in an attempt to retain the award, the whole school was involved in constructing and stretching the world's longest Christmas paper chain along Great Yarmouth's Golden Mile. At Lingrove, Stuart will be remembered for career fashion shows, preparing for opportunities conferences and for coordinating annual work experience campaigns for his students, where he spent a further 16 years. While at Lingrove, Stuart also led many extracurricular visits and trips. Education does not end when young people leave your classroom, he said. He also set up the Twinning Exchange with York School in Maine in America. The exchange began on an annual basis in 2004 and is still strong. He said many lifelong friendships have been formed as a result of the exchange. It will be a wrench to leave Great Yarmouth, the couple said. Their son Patrick, daughter-in-law Hannah and four grandchildren await them in South Wales. We just decided to do it while we have enough energy left, Daphne said. We'd just like to thank all the families and young people and colleagues we've worked with for their time, commitment and love over the years. We would love to have said goodbye to all our friends and colleagues, but in the current situation it is not possible. Great Yarmouth has been a great place to work and live and it has been a privilege to work here among you. God bless you all and our lovely old town. Well, what a lovely article I think that is. And I am aware that everybody knows Daphne and Stuart and they will be a loss. But how lovely they're going to be nearer their family. Now, inevitably, there is some COVID news and there has been some people breaching lockdowns. Illegal house parties and visits to the coast prompted 160 coronavirus lockdown-related fines from Norfolk Police over the weekend. Officers focused on visitor hotspots, including Sea Pauling, Wells and Hunstanton, where they gave fixed penalty notices to people who had come from as far as Leicestershire, London, Essex, Cambridge and Bedford. Four house parties were also disrupted, including two children's birthday parties in Great Yarmouth. A number of adults who were present at one of the parties, where more than 15 people had gathered, were issued with £800 fines. House parties with fewer than 15 people were also found in Attleborough and Thetford, with those attending receiving £200 fines. Temporary Assistant Chief Constable Julie Venth said we have seen a number of blatant breaches this weekend, many by people who live outside of the county who have travelled to coastal areas. A combination of better weather, lockdown fatigue and the impending easing of restrictions will no doubt influence some people's behaviour. However, the stay-at-home rule remains in place and while the roadmap out of lockdown offers new confidence, we still need to take action now to get us there. Police warned 132 other people about the importance of sticking to the rules. 
Dr Louise Smith, Norfolk's Director of Public Health, said most people in Norfolk have done an excellent job of respecting the rules so far and have played a key part in the fall of infection rates we're seeing now. It is important that we keep to the rules and stay local to keep numbers of cases down. I know most people will, but where they don't, I support the police in taking enforcement action. There has been widespread support for police taking a tough line on visitors to the coast, but others have said the force should focus on other areas as the risk of transmitting the virus on the beach is believed to be minimal. There has also been some confusion about how far people are allowed to travel to exercise as the government has not defined a distance limit but the police said the government's advice to stay local meant not going beyond the village, town or part of the city where you live. So, as they say, that's all the news that we have for this week. A little bit of other news apart from COVID. It's been Aileen this week, recording at home from a sort of slightly overcast, dreary week of weather. Disappointing after the little bit of sunshine we had. I hope you all take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Um, we gradually are hoping to open up and be a bit more active and social once the rules are lifted, but who knows? However, that is the news for this week. Take care, speak to you next month, and bye for now. Well, as Aileen says, that's it from this edition of Grapevine. The recording is copyright 2021 of the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association. The news content is adapted mainly from the publications of Archant Limited and is used with their consent. However, the Great Yarmouth and District Talking Newspaper Association accept responsibility for editorial decisions made for this recording. Next week's newsreader will be Desney, and we hope that we can look forward to welcoming you once again for much more of your local news. In the meantime, from all at Grapevine, we hope that you stay well and safe as we welcome in the delights of an early spring. From everybody here, it's bye for now. Bye. Bye.